Welcome to Career Crashers, where we tell the stories of those who are not content to wait around following rules and hoping for good things to happen. Great careers aren't found, they're forged. It's time to crash the party. Super excited, beyond excited, to be joined by Charlie Hone, who is head of video at Scribe Media. He He's an author, he's a speaker, he's worked with authors such as Ramit Sethi, Tucker Max, Seth Godin, and he is former assistant to Tim Ferriss. He's written multiple books, including Play It Away, Play for a Living, and above all, perhaps for the purposes of this podcast, he's the author of Recession-Proof Graduate, How to Land the Job You Want by Doing Free Work. So really excited. We're going to dive into Charlie's story a little bit and talk about this concept of free work. So Charlie, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joel. It's nice to talk to you. My pleasure. So tell us about you finished college 2008 and you were sort of doing the typical job on, as I understand, and and, uh, sending out resumes for a few months and not having a whole lot of success. And of course, this was right during the recession that hit. So then you must have had some sort of light bulb moment. You you started doing this internship program with Seth Godin, and then you decided to pitch um, or meet safety on while he was marketing his book. And so I'm curious, um, where did you get that idea to to actually pitch and take an, an entirely new approach and, and pitch free work? So yeah, 2008 was not as bad as 2020, but it was pretty bad. And in terms of job hunting prospects and and employment. So when I got out of college, like many people entering the workforce, they kind of follow what everybody else does, which is the traditional approach, which is blasting out your resume, optimizing your resume, writing nice cover letters and, and so on. And we didn't have like one-click applications, but we did have career builder, monster. And so I was applying to as many jobs as I could that seemed like they could be decent entry-level jobs or possibly um, could lead to interesting work. And I did this for over a month, applied to over 100 jobs, none of which I really wanted or was crazy about. And at the end of that period, I'd realized that I'd only gotten two real responses. And one was from a staging company, like physical manual labor. Um, Nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't what I wanted. And then the other one was ended up being a pyramid scheme. And so it really caused me to stop and reflect and realize like, wow, this methodology that I was taught doesn't clearly it does not work anymore or it doesn't work with graduates and uh and people who are just starting off in the workforce and then i remember having drinks with a friend of mine and they were telling me they were so excited because they'd spent the last month or so doing what i was doing and they just landed a sales rep position at Verizon Wireless as somebody who was selling, you know, cell phones. This was before, I think before the iPhone came out even. And again, nothing wrong with that, but it was like, we just spent 17 years in school yeah. 
setting ourselves up to have a career. And I know this person didn't want to go into selling cell phones, but they were they were so desperate. And I was too. I, I'm not knocking that. I was too, but I really wanted to uphold this value that I'm not going to trade my joy and my creativity and my enthusiasm for for work just so I can have a paycheck. It was very important to me that I work on something that mattered, that I work on something that I actually utilized my strengths and could actually be fun for me and that I I liked the people I worked with. I didn't think that was that outrageous of of demands of values, right? And so I I <laughs> but using the traditional methods, I was like that's not going to happen. I if I'm looking online on these online listings, like none of them equal that as my future. None of them. And so the light bulb moment that I had that you mentioned was really, I was laying on my bathroom floor and I was like, okay, none of that works. Possibly the whole like college route to a degree equals success might be a racket. Okay. Uh, maybe I just need to do the work. Maybe I just need to not wait for somebody to give me permission or to, or to let somebody else design the job? What if I designed the job? What if I assigned myself the work to ensure that I liked it first, and I only pitched it to people or companies that I was confident that I would like? And so I just basically took back control and I said, I'm going to design every aspect of this. And the one thing that I can't guarantee myself at the outset is a paycheck. Because that's that has to be the thing that gives, right? If you there's a saying that's like, you set the terms, I set the price. Uh, you set the price, I set the terms. And so I was setting the terms, unlike any other employer, right? So and and so my price was, hey, free. Let's let's eliminate all risk. And almost immediately that worked. And so I started pitching people, like you said, like Ramit, um, Tucker. And ultimately ended up working with Tim Ferriss for a few years as his first time, uh, first full-time employee. And it was unreal, man, because I, I was just like, I was a, a, a graduate not that long ago, you know, I was a graduate working in my parents' basement on our ping pong table and getting ignored or rejected, usually ignored by triple digits of companies for jobs I did not want that I, I'm not being arrogant. I just felt uh, intellectually were below what I was capable of. And then all of a sudden I was sitting across from my heroes working on projects that I was excited about and loved and doing things that I really felt that mattered. And so what happened was that happened like with four or five people that I was like, like I, I got accepted to help work with people and companies more than I got rejected. And so I realized, wow, this is easily the most effective strategy I've seen. Um, and 
yet no one does it because there's all these weird stigmas around this concept of free work or what people perceive as the risks of free work. And, um, and, and a bunch of my friends were asking me, like, how the hell did you do that? It, it, you know, we were in the same boat not that long ago, eating Hot Pockets out of our, you know, in our parents' basement. And now, like, you're, you're doing things that you wanted to do. That's great. So, I, just out of pure frustration, I wrote an article um, that ended up turning into an ebook called Recession Proof Graduate. And that, uh, for the, at the time, went viral. And um, yeah, you can still buy the book on Amazon now. Uh, it's a bit outdated, but the the philosophy still works, which is, and, and I don't like recommending the book because it was written from my arrogant, uh, naive mindset of a person in their early 20s, which is like really obnoxious. I can't, I can't read the book. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the principles still hold up pretty well, which is, Use free work, not just to get your foot in the door, but to kick the door down. Love that. Yeah. I remember getting that book about 2016, and that was one of the first times I'd ever heard about the concept. And and it just felt so foreign, but it was also like, whoa, this is amazing. Um, but I love that you, I'm, I'm impressed and inspired by the fact that you hatched this idea. You said lying on your bathroom floor <laughs> as you're in this um, this frustration of the, of the, the standard job hunt, and you just you just paused for a second and thought, how can I pivot my strategy here and not just work hard, but, you know, work effectively. And, and, you know, credit where credit's due. I had the idea to start pitching people I, I admired. I, I wasn't totally sure how to do it. And I got some invaluable feedback from Ramit Sethi because I reached out to him and I, I was like, man, huge fan. And, and the, for anybody who wants to create an opportunity, you can use this exact template. I, I coached uh, a student of mine uh, recently, and he was able to get not only get the attention of Mr. Beast, who has millions and millions, literally over 50 million followers online, get the, his attention, get a response within an hour and get hired within the month. And so this template really works, no matter how busy the person is. I said to Ramit, hey, I'm a huge fan of what, what you do. And in fact, it's had a transformative effect on my life. Here's proof, right? So I provided proof that like I had used his advice to cut my costs and, and budget and all these things. And then I said, you know, you're, you're really good on video, but the problem is you you hardly ever post any video and i bet i know why it's cumbersome it's tedious it's it's a pain and you're probably uncomfortable on video you don't have time to hire an editor all these things you don't want to post it yourself let me take care of all of that for you i'll do it for free let me do it for a month and by the way here here's some videos that i've already done and and my first assignment that I gave to myself, I think for him was creating a speaker reel for him because he was doing speaking and, and speakers need a, a demo reel basically. So um, that can work super well. You can do the work right out the gate and give it to them. Usually gets their attention. If you're any good, you have to be skilled, right? You can't just say <laughs> like, like you and I were talking about, 
hey, your website sucks. Have you thought about using it, you know, doing a template like this? And you're not a web designer. Like, don't do that. That's a horrible thing to do. And you lose all your credibility. But I was, you know, I'd been editing video for a while. And so I knew I knew my way around. I certainly was more of an expert than he was. And so um, that's how we started working together. And Ramit was the one who gave me feedback on like, here's how to strategically approach Tim with free work because he he's a fairly famous author. You need to do it more methodically. And so he was super helpful. But yeah, um, he he kind of gave me the the nudge to do free work. He was he was the first one that I realized like, oh, that that's that's the thing that stops people is is this person any good first and foremost and are they going to be a a waste of my time and money and if you're good if you can prove you're good and you're not going to waste their time and money and you're very little energy and risk for them it's easy to get a foot in the door yeah and i don't know if you know uh tk coleman he's a friend of ours and he talks about do the job before you have the job yeah and and you know create those videos not just here's what's wrong, but I'm going to do the work in advance and create value. And you're signaling so many soft skills of creativity and you're thinking from the other person's perspective. Um, and I love how you framed it earlier about, about free work in that it's actually, it's empowering in, in your self-interest. It's not something that that's, you're just getting used or exploited because you are, like you said, you're used, you are setting the terms of the, of the transaction at the beginning. And so because you aren't asking for any money, you can actually have a lot more, um, you know, leeway, so to speak. So, but let's talk more about just the principle of free work and, and some of these, these hesitancies that I think a lot of people might have, um, you know, no one wants to be exploited, of course, and I'm, we're not advocating that. The, the question is, that I think, how, how do we frame this concept of free work? And um, just, yeah, just, just talk more about some of the typical, you know, arguments against free work and why those are wrong. Sure. Yeah. So I have a huge list in my book, but I'll, I'll list off some common ones I hear, which is, will I get in trouble for this? Isn't this illegal? Right. Um, or, you know, I don't want to be exploited. And the answer is, it is not illegal. You are not going to get in trouble if you are designing the work, if you are proposing it, if you are creating the work from your own place of hey, I'm creating this thing of my own. No one's forcing me. The Department of Labor does not care. Who are they going to blame in that situation? You? You know, you're you're designing it. Um, exploitation is a common thing that people bristle, bristle at, right? Uh, and it's funny, right before this call, I saw this video that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk posted. And actually, he was one of my earliest people that I, I didn't do like a long-term work arrangement with him at all, but I, I went, I flew out to New York and spent a day, uh, talking with him about book marketing for, for free, you know, and it was invaluable, but he's a huge champion of free work too. And he was like, people say all the time, I don't want to get exploited. He's like, I do free work all the time and I make tens of millions of dollars every year. And it's funny too. I, I found much later after I'd published that book that not only millionaires and billionaires that I personally spoke to advocated for free work, but 
a lot of society's most successful people either started their career with free work or they continued to use free work strategically to open up opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. And that's that's what I'm saying. Like millionaires and billionaires use this strategy. They just do it smartly and intelligently and proactively. The difference between smart free work and dumb free work is that dumb free work is passive and reactive and you're being assigned things by other people, like an intern. Somebody's being told to go get coffee and make uh, copies. Smart free work says, I'm going to find opportunities where I can create value. I'm going to find problems and areas where I can help this business or this individual. I'm going to create a gift. I'm going to make something that they can implement and just give it away. And my expectation is zilch. The only thing I'm doing this for is to get their attention, to create further opportunities to work with them in the future, and potentially to add something to my portfolio and build up my skill set because I'm gaining experience. So most people are just sitting around, I think, waiting. They have the American Idol syndrome where they're like, please pick me and make my dreams come true. But they don't want to go through the work of actually becoming a good singer or putting themselves out there or trying something that they they design themselves. Um, so exploitation, I, I find very laughable, especially when we have a system that is putting millions of kids and teenagers and, and young adults through this system that's that was designed back when factories were a, a thing in our economy. Like you're just, you have been going by other people's agendas and technically like doing free work your whole young life. You're just doing it for grades in the promise of future earnings. Right? So why is, why is there this, this uh, dissonance when it comes to free work? I've never understood that. Um, and especially like people celebrate college athletes, right? They don't get paid. They make tons of money for the organization. They don't get paid. But people are like, some people are outraged when they go to the NBA too early. They're like, no, they need to stay in college, get a valuable education. They need to work for free even longer. In fact, they need to pay for their yeah, education, yeah. right? And so it's like, why? What is this delusion? It's all life. We get to choose how we pass the time. I am designing my time. You are not. You are waiting for somebody to hire you so they can say, here's how to spend your time and we'll pay you to spend your time that way. That's all it is. Um, and then the final objection I ultimately hear is, is basically like, what if I send this in and it gets rejected and ignored like another application, which the fear there is fear of failure, right? What if I look foolish? What if I put myself out there onto something that I really care about? And what if I just fall flat on my face? It's the George McFly. I can't face that type of rejection. And the answer is, is like, look, you're going to get you are set up to get rejected either way. You are set up to fail either way. All I'm asking you is to design your own game instead of saying, I'm going to look at all the crappy games out there and just hope for the best. You know, it's like, no, just, just make your own game. That's it. That's all. Yeah, it's amazing about, about how backwards it is with, with the college piece 
where it's, it's not only you're not getting paid, but you are paying enormous <laughs> amounts of money and going to, into debt, but somehow that is education. But if you were to, instead, instead of going to college, you were to pitch yourself to companies and, and work for free, somehow that's, that's exploitation. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> on, on whose part? Like they're not, they're not kidnapping you in the middle of the night and then chaining you to a desk and saying, there, now we're not going to pay you. Go do free work for us. Like you're making the proposal. There's no exploitation going on. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the whole system, the school system, and I'm sure your answer to this question, is, it relates to that. I was curious, why is it that this mindset is not more common? Is it really just like the fear, all these arguments that we've mentioned? Or, I mean, it, or do you think it goes back to some of the, the mindsets that are instilled into kids growing up about kind of waiting for permission? I mean, how deep do you want to go, Joel? <laughs> like, we could get uh, I was into- totally curious. Yeah, you know, I think it's the same reason that schools don't teach financial freedom is like the system ultimately feeds back into this other system that profits from it. And I don't think people are taught and it, and it could be any number of things, right? It could it could kind of have that hey, this these are the incentives in the system or it could be just socially we most most of us outsource our thinking to the group right yeah. is is because we it's like if everybody's doing something they're probably doing it right but then there's the other side that's like anytime you're in the side of the majority you want to pause and reflect right so um i th- i think it could be any number of things and i'm not 100% confident it's one or the other but i do think it is when it comes to designing your career, it is dangerous to say, I'm going to do what everybody else does because that path is often fraught with misery. Like most of the workforce, the vast, any of the statistics you look at, most of the workforce is unengaged at best, right? That's, that is, they don't care about their work. What does that translate out to into other areas of your life? Depression, uh, a broken family life, potentially, right? You can't be in a miserable job being underpaid. Even if you're, if, if you're paid well, being miserable for a long time will eventually equal some sort of mental health or spiritual health issue, a, a breakdown of some sort. And so you do have to really think, and be proactive about if I don't like the cards that are in front of me, if I don't like the way the world is presenting itself, am I just going to accept this reality as the only one? Or can I potentially be a creator in this reality, right? So to, to your original question, it's like most of us are brought up in a system where we're taught listen to the authority, do what everyone else is doing, do as you're told. We, And this is part of the reason why it, like anxiety and stuff is such an epidemic with people yeah. is they're raised in such a way that they don't have control over their own lives. And so we really come to resent life when we have control stripped away from us. And so, and, and when I say to people, hey, like you can still have control, the, the cage that you've built around yourself is all in your head, break out of it, design your own, 
that's the scary thing because they've known the cage for a long time. So it's, it's many things, I think. Yeah. And you touched on, you know, the anxiety piece and, you know, your book played away. It talks about your, your story overcoming that and, and getting into this playful mindset in order to just be happier and incorporating that not only as a, a separate activity, um, you know, playing, playing mini golf more often or having, having more social time laughing with friends, but also in your daily work. And so in the recession proof graduate, you talk about like, how do you, okay, how do you start choosing what, what kind of company you're going to, you're going to pitch on free work. And you, you talk about tapping in, tapping back into what matters to you. So, so tell us more about, let's say someone's listening and they're, they're on the job hunt, they're frustrated, um, sending out hundreds of resumes, et cetera. And they're kind of, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's something here with free work. Where do you start in terms of choosing the opportunities and finding a, a good fit that's going to incorporate that sense of uh, excitement? Yeah. So there's a few places you can start. I, I tend to think the best place to start is with play. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So play, I think, is something you would do even if there was no outcome at the end, there was no result that you were driving toward, there was no agenda. It's just, it is fulfilling in and of itself. And the reason I think this is so important, and I almost equate it with free work, almost, is if you look at the top sources of motivation, sustainable motivation in people's lives, what tends to drive people in life? Well, I'll tell you. Inertia is one of them, right? So I keep doing it because I've always done it, right? Which is like the lowest form of motivation. And then there is economic pressure. So I need to pay the bills. If I don't have a job, then I'm going to go into debt or I'm going to, you know, lose the house or whatever. Economic pressure. There's emotional pressure where you're just fearful and anxious. Maybe your parents are pressuring you. Maybe your friends are pressuring you. And so you feel like if I don't relieve this pressure, uh, I'm going to go nuts, right? So you do it because of that. The, the higher forms of motivation are like uh, potential. I want to maximize my potential or purpose, right? I, I want to achieve a goal of some sort. The only sustainable form of motivation in existence is play, the work itself, right? Because all the other ones are like either at best, it's it's like an identity or a belief or a mindset. And the other ones are outside of you. So you need to find a type of work that feels like play, that is rewarding in and of itself. For me, it's it's video editing, right? I love, and, and really it's not even video editing, it's more storytelling. And so I love the act of creating media that tells a good story and that's impactful and, and makes people feel strong emotions. It's, it's very motivating for me. I would do it even if I weren't getting paid, but I, because I'm so motivated by the work itself, I've gotten very good at it and now I get paid a premium. And that's, that's the case across the spectrum in many industries. I, re I remember hearing Ray Dalio, the, one of the most successful investors, multi-multi-billionaire, 
he described his work as a game. He was like, I just played this game. I got really good because it was really fun. And now I get paid more and more and more to do it. Naval talks about the same thing of like, find work that feels like play and you won't have to retire because every day you're living for the moment. And isn't that what we want? Like, isn't that what all the sages and gurus talk about is stay in the moment, live in the moment. Well, if you're using these other forms of motivation, you're not really living for the moment. You're living to escape into this future moment where then things will be good. Right. And so you can live your whole life this way of like, I just need to get to this different point in my life and then I can enjoy that moment. That's the whole premise of like working for the weekend, uh, you know, waiting for retirements, waiting for heaven. Only then can your life be yeah. good. Right. And it's, it's like, no, now is great. Make what you have with now, make with what you have right now. And so how do you find play as, as your work? What I, I believe there are three main components when it comes to having play as work. And this is why I wrote the book play for a living as like, look, a lot of people have done this. It's not just <laughs> some person on the internet, uh, advocating for this play. I think must meet three criteria. One is autonomy. So you're not man, you're not micromanaged. You can't be controlled. You can you can have you know boundaries, but you can't be micromanaged. If if you are not going to be autonomous, non-starter. Mastery. It has to be something that you feel automatically compelled to get really good at. Right. It's not something you have to. All everything that you master, right, has crappy periods, right? When I was learning videography, there were parts of it I hated that I just had to like get through. But I I loved the overall uh, skill set so much that I I was able to get through that and keep going. And then relationships and or connection, right? So one you can put it one of two ways. I I like connection. I like connection a little bit better because it's like. If it's a type of work that connects you with yourself even more, that's great. But I also think it should be a type of work that connects you with others. So I think of this example, I can't remember his name, but he's one of these brilliant mathematicians. And mathematicians, you you would think, have a very reclusive career where they're working on problems by themselves. This guy was so beloved and he was so great at his craft because he would travel the country and just like hang out with other mathematicians for a week or so at a time and work on problems together with them. So even if you're not working at a traditional company, if you're a freelancer or a contractor, like so many of us are, you can still use your work as this passport to connection, either deeper with yourself or with others. And so that's where I tell everybody to start is like, look, you might not know what you love. You might not know what you want to do for the rest of your life. You might not know what you're passionate about. I think those are all kind of like squishy things to get our heads around. But play is something all of us have experienced. We know that feeling, even if we haven't experienced it since childhood, it's this feeling of freedom. It's this feeling of being with our friends. It's this feeling of flow that we're getting good at something. And we want to, the, the point is not to, exit the game 
In other words, the point is not to retire. The point is to keep the game going bigger and better. And so if you can find work that that fits those criteria, you have found quite potentially something very sustainable for a career. Are you by chance familiar with the book Finite and Infinite Games by James Cars? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He says, he who must play cannot play. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That autonomy piece. But yeah, it's almost a too good to be true mindset people have where it's, you know, you grow up, go to school and just kind of look forward to the weekends, as you said. And, and it's like, can I really merge work and play? Can I really be so just excited and gleeful and earn a solid income? It's like, you can, it's just gonna let yourself, like give yourself permission to even pursue that. And then, and you mentioned, you know, um, finding your perfect dream job or, following your passion. And we're the same way at Crash. We're not talking about following your passion as much as experiment. Like don't do stuff you hate first and then experiment, be playful. Like what are you curious about? You know? So with, with pitching, with, with pitching free work, you know, finding companies that they're kind of interesting to you, you know, and then, okay, what could I do? Let's, let's tinker around here. Like what, oh, let's see their website. Do they have any, um, you know, video collage of, of their, you know, of their results or whatever? Can I make something for them? Um, and then see what happens. Right. And, and there's can be a lot of ripple effects. Even if you fail, you'll, you'll kind of start getting in that mindset and then you'll learn more about what you could do. So there's so many benefits. Um, I'm curious if just a couple more questions for you, but I'm curious if you could break down a little bit more about this research component you, you talk about in the book, you know, if you're, before you pitch someone, really make sure you do your homework, do your research, um, how, and I, th I think some people hear that and they get overwhelmed. Like I got to have this, I got to do all this heavy lifting and it's just too big of a project. And I'll just, I'll just send my resume in instead, you know, is there a rule of thumb about how deep you need to go before you, you try this approach in terms of the preparation? Yeah. So it may not quell those feelings of overwhelm because I have changed my, my phrasing from Hey, do your homework to do an audit. <laughs> and an audit is much more intensive, but it's like look, you're you're ultimately looking for problems. That's yeah. the homework. You are looking for areas where oh, they have and and here's what I mean by problems. They could be doing a better job uh, catering to their customers. They could be delighting their customers more. They could be earning more revenue. They could be reaching more people. They could um, be saving more money, right? What are these fundamental metrics that all businesses care about, which is like, how many people are coming in the door? How many people are buying? How many people are we keeping? And, you know, there, there are many elements of a business, right? There are operations, there are uh, analytics, there's it, there's there's human resources or or people as I like to call them <laughs> they shouldn't be called human resources um, you know there are those processes but I find those processes more difficult to kind of see into because the they they're harder to see into because it's not consumer facing always right you yeah. you would have to go pretty deep into some of their internal funnels or actually even see the inner workings of a company to be able to say oh i could help them with that um whereas with this other stuff which is like the the markers of good marketing good sales anybody can jump on those and say i could potentially help you 
do this stuff. And these are modern day skills that effectively so many of us now have, or at least have some basic understanding of, and all companies need help with getting better people, more people in the door, the right people in the door, um, and have and delighting them, maximizing the experience. So, um, when, when I do an audit, I tend to look at everything that's been posted by the company over the last six to 12 months. I tend to study everything they list on their website, watch and listen to any interviews that their uh, executive team or their founders have done. And uh, I just take notes. You know, I, I try and stay open-minded and I, I look for areas. I, I, I know what their mission is. So I know where they're heading over the long term, but I also am, am listening for these things that they're like, we tried this, it didn't work, or we're doubling down on this. Um, this is something that's important to us. This is where we're heading. I try and see where they're going and what matters to them. And then if the timing is right, right? So if you reach out to an author, for instance, and they're right in the middle of their book launch, you're probably going to get ignored, right? But if they're preparing for their book launch or they're preparing to release a book, the timing's good. They they need help during those phases. So it it timing matters too. There's a there's a great phrase in marketing that I love, which is content is king, context is God. And if you you mm. hit them at the right context and you say, I understand exactly where you are right now, here's your problem. I'm going to solve it. In fact, here's a potential solution you can already use, or here's, here's my proof that I can, I'm the right person to solve it. It's, it's much easier to get their attention. Absolutely. So just from my own selfish curiosity, I, I got to ask you about Tim Ferriss and I want to ask, what is it, what intangible or sort of tacit knowledge did you pick up from him? I mean, talking about pitching, opportunities that are dream dream opportunities and and something that's playful and exciting and, and I mean it's it's beyond just earning the paycheck it's 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 the joy of the work but it's also the opportunity you can you can leverage through connecting I mean you you've connected to incredible authors because you started this process and there's so much sort of tacit knowledge you can tap into when you just start working with an entrepreneur that you look up to so is there anything that stands out in terms of um, you know, just mindset or, or tacit knowledge that you picked up from Tim Ferriss? There, there are plenty and they still ripple out, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be having, here's a, a good kind of random example. Uh, cause it'll come up every now and then I'll be talking to my wife, Andrea, and I'll, I'll be like, yeah, I learned that one of the big things I learned from Tim was such and such. So I'll actually give you two kind of random examples and maybe I can kind of think of a, a broader, broader one. Um, one of the, one of the things I've, I've learned from Tim is when it comes to like nutrition, <laughs> something sustainable is, is what really matters. Like a lifestyle, like he's done the slow carb diet for I think decades now. And if you meet Tim, he is significantly younger than he looks. He's healthy. He's like vibrant and everything. 
And um, as much as he experiments and tries new things and is continually trying to optimize, what I admired most about him was how structured he was in being like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to automatically set myself up for success to, to be disease-free, as, as disease-free as possible over the long run, but also maximizing my nutrition, my, uh, you know, all, all these things that, that matter to optimal health. And, um, so I really admired that. And that carried over into something recently. I, I hired an executive assistant at the beginning of this year and I just handed off to her. I said, this is, this is long-term. These are all the things that will lead to like my family's happiness, my happiness, uh, the, the wealth and health of our business, all sorts of things. And uh, I want you to start designing schedules that will maximize those outcomes. And so when I think of Tim, it's like he ate the same three meals basically every day and then would have one cheat, cheat day a week. Um, and it's not like he ate bad food. He, he ate great food. He just didn't have to think about it. And I think optimizing decisions so he can focus on his time, on the quality of his time was something I really admired and, and hadn't learned before him. You know, I think a lot of us are exposed to that stuff in the four hour work week for the first time. Uh, and why it was so impactful is we realized, wow, all the, all of our impulses are telling us we just need more money or we just need a million dollars or whatever. And here's this guy saying, and, and now the research has backed it, which is time is what makes us happy. The quality of our time is what makes us really happy. So another thing was he really affected my communication style. Uh, so I was already okay at pitching, obviously, when uh, he and I started working together. But man, like I got... I, I I went from pretty good to like ninja yeah. uh, because of his edits and his guidance. So, and a perfect example again is um, my my wife made a viral TikTok video. It got over a million views in a couple of days, and it was of this uh, wine bottle that had augmented reality features on it. Right, so you held your phone up to it, and it came to life like a Harry Potter thing. Uh, and it was really cool. And she made this video and I was like, oh, you should try and get some uh, free wine from that company. And she's like, what? <laughs> I was like, and just tell them you made this video and that you want more of their wine bottles and you'll make a few more videos and, and see if they'll send you some wine. And she wrote, I was like, send me the draft before, before you send it. And she wrote, and, and God bless, God bless her. <laughs> she does not have this skill set. And I was like, what is that? You expect them to respond to this? And, uh, it, you know, it was very passive. It was very kind of, it, I'm not criticizing her. She's, no one's ever taught her to do this. Like with most of us, I rewrote the email. And I was like, send that. I promise you they will send us wine. Uh, and <laughs> like a couple days went by and she's like, oh, you were wrong. They did, you know, they, they ignored us. And she's like, I'm feeling hurt. I was like, trust me, I promise you they will respond. And they sent us, uh, eight bottles of wine the other day, uh, because of that email. And so it's like, but she, she was like, she was like, whoa, D you know, before, after 
was just night and day. Like one was very, very professional and like demanded a response in a non-demanding way. Um, and so that's kind of a fun superpower to have, you know, I, that's part of the reason why, you know, I, I run this coaching group called dream jobs on demand. One of the big things that I realized is easy for me and fun for me, but like super like magical for other people is this ability to communicate in email in a way that commands a response from even the busiest people who are CEOs or or like Mr. Beast, these people who have so many messages, you can't even wrap your head around it. They're getting thousands a day, you know? So how do you stand out? How do you get somebody's attention? And um, so that's a, that's been a great superpower to have. And Tim gave me more responsibility uh, than I and than I could have dreamed of, and and probably more than I should have than I asked for. <laughs> uh, uh, or I'm sorry, that that makes it sound like he gave me too much. I'm saying I asked for too much, and he gave it to me. <laughs> That's what I meant. Um, and it it really stretched me, and it helped me. And so I, yeah, it was. It's hard. I've gotten that question a lot. And it's always difficult for me to pick one thing because the answer is like, there's so many, it changed, it changed how I approach a lot of things. And, uh, it's, it's a curse and a blessing to work with somebody who's that high functioning. It's, it's a blessing because you absorb a lot of their superpowers. It's also a curse in a way because you're like, I don't know if I'll ever get to a, a standard like, like his, you know, he's just, he is Tim Ferriss, you know, but it is unfair. I've, I've realized that one of the lessons I've had to learn working with a lot of people like him is that you can't, I'm, I'm not Charlie Hone trying to be Tim Ferriss. I'm just trying to be the best Charlie Hone I can be. And I think that's, that's something he didn't teach me directly, but I, I, I learned from working with folks like him. Appreciate you telling the story. And uh, Charlie, thanks for making the time today. CharlieHone.com, Twitter.com slash CharlieHone. Uh, do you want to tell us more about your, your dream job coaching group? Or do you want to tell us more about your work at Scribe? I know Scribe's doing some cool stuff with helping people publish books, but uh, feel sure. free to tell us more. Yeah. With uh, Dream Jobs on Demand, it's just uh, for people who have struggled either with the job hunting process or they're in transition in their career and they want to go into something that they actually love or they've just been struggling for years in their existing jobs. They've had a string of bad jobs that they hate. If you're, if you're serious about wanting to go into a dream job, like the ones we've talked about, that's why I created the group is to give people a structured way of actually going through picking what type of job they want, figuring out how to best apply, creating this like dream job application, this ultimate application that can't be ignored. And then what do you say when you actually get that call or you're able to have that interview to reaffirm like, hey, you are the right person and you can go into it confidently as well as having like the Google search results and social media results you need to uh, like be congruent with your application. 
So that's that's what that's about. It's an eight-week live coaching program that I do. And with Scribe, I am, as you mentioned, the head of video. And so Scribe helps people who want to write books. It helps them write, publish, and market books. And we do it with the easiest methodology you can think of. We're the number one professional publishing uh, company in the world. And uh, so we work with professionals. So our methodology, I, I mentioned that's the easiest is uh, you, instead of sitting in a cabin, writing out your book for six hours a day for six months and reenacting The Shining, you, uh, you can speak your book. You can have a professional scribe interview the book out of you. They take the transcript, turn it into uh, a professional book prose. And then we handle all the tedious and difficult parts of publishing and marketing. So we've worked with, I believe, over 1,700 authors at this point, including David Goggins, Tiffany Haddish, Nassim Taleb, um, and, and Dan Sullivan, Kevin Harrington. You know, um, we're, we're the top choice if you're an entrepreneur who wants to write a book but doesn't want to write and make that your job. Awesome stuff. Charlie, appreciate it. We're speaking the same language about free work. So really grateful for you taking the time and, and coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joel. Like what you hear? Go to crash.co and join the career revolution. If you want to share your own career crash story, send it directly to me at isaac at crash.co.